Welcome to the Catapult Ed Next Gen Podcast, a podcast to educate the next generation towards a successful financial future. Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Tony Cat, Director of Catapult Wealth, and t- today um, we are talking about all things diversification. I'm joined by uh, Dylan Evans, the Senior Financial Planner at Catapult. Uh, welcome, mate. Uh, thanks, thanks, Tony. For coming along and having a chat today. Um, Dylan, diversification is an interesting topic and I think a lot of people have different opinions about what diversification is. Um, uh, people um, diversify different things. They diversify across asset classes, which we'll talk about today. Um, we diversify across time, um, like term deposits that mature. For, we diversify um, for a variety of reasons as well. Um and I think that a lot of people, um, their f- first asset, normally the first major purchase, their first is normally their house, um, which sits in the residential property bucket. But outside of that, um, that's where this diversification topic starts to come up in terms of um, what do I do next? Correct, yeah. Um, so what? I- I- how do you explain diversification to clients and... Um, why is diversification important to you? Uh, so there's probably a couple of ways I, I uh, explain diversification. A- and I think probably the easiest one is is just, you know, probably that quote that you, your grandma or your father said to you, but not putting all your eggs in one basket. Mm. So, you know, the, the property is a great example. You go out and buy your first house. Uh, generally, you're all in. You know, everything mm. you've got, you've got in that house. Uh, and, you know, that's basically the opposite of diversification you've got it all in one mm. diversification essentially it's a risk management tool mm. uh, and it's it's just a case of spreading your um, your money your investments um, across a, a range of assets and, and probably the important point with diversification is that it's different assets that are affected by different things mm. so you know I think a key key example you, you often see is what is not diversification is you know having two properties in Wyala because yes. you know when the the business closes in Wyala you're not going to be able to rent either property so there's there's very little diversification whereas if you've got a property in Sydney and a property in uh, you know Perth then you're starting to get a bit of diversification because you've you've spread your risks a little bit more and there's different factors that affect those investments. So the purpose of diversification though is to protect the against the fall in cert or the volatility of your wealth in terms of the asset value, but you're also protecting the income stream to some degree as well, aren't you, in terms of diversifying? Yeah, correct. So, I mean, the, the properties is a great example. You know, obviously, if, if you're two properties in Wyala and, and you can't rent them, yeah. there goes your income stream. Yeah. Um, I mean, if a fundamental part of diversification is, you know, we don't do it to boost returns. Mm. You know, for example, coming back to the properties, if you're renting you know, a property in Sydney and a property in Melbourne, you're going to get roughly the same return. Mm. What you're protecting against is, you know, if you put all your money into one property in Sydney mm. or you put, you know, all your money into two apartments next door to each other in Sydney is that if one of those events occurs, you know, something happens in Sydney or, you know, mm. um, they build a highway across you know, mm. the road next to where you've got your two apartments, you're going to feel that hit on both of those assets. Mm. Mm. Um, so the idea is that you know both assets are probably going to produce five or six percent, but you're protecting against those downside risks. Yeah, and I think um, the property example I'd probably give Dylan is um, more um, is around Darwin. Probably is a is a great example of volatility in property prices, and also even de- Western Australia, 
where a lot of properties have been moving up and down around the mining boom and Darwin more around this LNG development and things that are going on in Darwin. As soon as those things stopped or ceased, we saw an, an unbelievable collapse in housing price values across uh, different areas of those two markets. And if you'd, or people bought a lot of houses in places like Roxby Dam around, uh, you know, uh, there in these country regions. And as you say, you only need one event and all your assets are moving in one direction. Correct. And, and it works both ways. You know, yes. There's a, there's a big boom in Darwin. You've got all your eggs in that basket. You, you're going to do very well. Yeah. Um, and that's where the volatility comes in, that it really does magnify you know, movements in either direction. The, um, the other example I think is pretty relevant at the moment, Dylan, is, as was COVID, to be honest. I think diversification through COVID proved to be pretty important in a sense, and I can think of two examples off the top of my head is where we saw the travel sector get completely annihilated and also the finance sector with the banks get completely annihilated there for a period of time Um, uh, and 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 ultimately then having the diversification outside of those like whether it be medical or Or supermarkets yeah food and 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 or uh, it and tech and things like that that when it came out of that and did very well help soften the blow of other sectors that were completely decimated. And on the property side, of course, you saw the office space implode a little bit as well, whereas um, warehouse space, because of all the people buying up in um, using online shopping and and needing to store all the goods or storing their caravan or their their boat that they've bought for their local travel, uh, has been in huge demand. So I think COVID was a great example of where diversification mattered. Um, What... um, in terms of people in asset classes, you say diversification across asset classes, Dylan. What is what does good diversification across asset classes look like, and how does it differ from person to person? So, so one of the fundamental concepts of diversification is is that uncorrelated return. So, you don't want things that move in the same direction at the same time. Yeah. So, really, the goal, and there's several levels to diversification. So, um, you know, probably. At the higher level, you have diversification in asset classes. So that would be, you know, potentially you'd put some money in the local share market, mm-hmm. you'd put money in overseas share markets, mm-hmm. you'd have some in term deposits, you'd have some in property, uh, and you split your money uh, or investments across a range of asset classes. Mm. Once you get into those asset classes, there's another level of diversification. So if you take Australian shares, for example, Within that, you just don't want ANZ, CBA, Westpac and NAB. All the banks, All yeah. the banks. You yeah. want a bit of healthcare. You want a bit of, you know, uh, Woolies and Coles. You probably want a bit of, you know, you might have some travel stocks, some, some mm. real estate stocks, things like that. And so then when COVID does come along, you've got 5% of your money in travel stocks. Yep. You've got 5% in, in supermarkets. And, you know, probably one of the things with good diversification is you will find you will almost always have assets that are doing well and that are doing poorly. And, yes. and that's part of the point. Yeah, um, but the idea is that they balance each other out, and you get much smoother returns than uh, if you were to concentrate your assets. The um, it's a really good point, Dylan. I think it's something we do talk to clients a lot about. Is that you're right in a diversified, well diversified portfolio, there will be things because it's uncorrelated that aren't going so well at certain times. But it's really important to focus on the bottom line Correct. and say, well, overall. Um, it'd be nice to have 22 winners in the portfolio all going up, but then technically that wouldn't be too well correlated. It's yeah, too well diversified. I, I do point that out with clients. That <laughs> look, if, if we are getting 22 winners, we're probably not diversified yeah. because it is very rare that you know everything's going in the same direction at the same time. Absolutely. 
is um, how many different sectors, and I was trying to think off the top of my head, is there's probably at least between 13 to 16 major sectors you can invest in on the Australian share market, isn't there? Yeah, it'd be a bit of a quiz there, but <laughs> I reckon uh, somewhere between that number, um, and we've spoken about a few, you know, healthcare, IT, mm. um, you know, consumer discretionary, there, there's a whole range of sectors. Um, that you can get exposure to both here and overseas. So within Australia, so if we're talking then, so broadly you said asset allocation, we can diversify across cash, term deposits, uh, property, like commercial, and we can diversify into Australian shares and international shares. And you said even within Australian shares, um, admittedly that's in Australia, but we then can diversify across banking sector, um, insurance, we can IT, healthcare and so on. Overseas, then, you can still get a lot of geographic diversification, can't you? So you, you don't want to necessarily chuck all your money into the US, for example, or Japan. Correct. And this is something where y- you will find that the US dominates the international share markets. Mm. Um, so often, you know, if you're not careful about you, what you're investing in, you can have quite a high US exposure. You know, it's natural. Most of the large companies around the world are, originate from there. Um, but obviously, you know, there's a lot more to the world, you know, it's certainly, whether it's Europe or, you know, Asia is a great example mm. with COVID has, has done fairly well. Um, and, uh, you know, even, you know, people will, s- will take it to the next extreme, which is having a little bit of emerging markets as well, mm. which might be, you know, your Vietnam or, or things like that, yeah. um, that are probably a bit more volatile, but they, uh, you know, uh, run to a different drum sometimes than the US or, or Europe might be doing. Mm. And that's also as much about, so economic economies moving in different directions at different times. It might be about currencies moving in different directions at different times as well. And um, so I think that, that that is important. Within the property sector, um, diversification is then across different sectors again, isn't it? We mentioned just before office and um, warehouse, um, but there's various sectors that you can, in, in, and also geographically s- spread out your property investments, can't you? And, and certainly the one that a lot of people uh, won't diversify very well is residential. Yes. Uh, you can tend to find, and you know, for, for obvious reasons, that you can end up with a lot of your money in, in um, residential property. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, warehouse and, and office space um, can be a very different beast to, to residential property. You certainly see them um, moving very differently to each other. Mm, yeah, it's it, it is um, you know re- obviously the other one that I didn't mention during COVID that got different part got completely hammered as well as retail, of course, in in different sectors. So um, that was difficult for clients looking at this deal and then going, oh, that sounds like a lot. I got to diversified um, to be like think about and and to diversify across, and that sounds like a lot of hard work. What are the the tools that they can use, or what are the vehicles they can use to try and help make this diversification principle a lot easier? Yeah, I mean, one of the great things about, I think, the time we live in at the moment is it is incredibly easy to get, um, you know, some some very high levels of diversification mm. with a lot of the exchange-traded funds, uh, certainly something we use a lot of, um, basically listed investments where y- you go out and buy um, shares in a, a Vanguard or a Beta shares mm. and you will own... Uh, within that portfolio, they might have 3,000 stocks around yeah. the world. Yep. So, you know, with one brokerage charge and one transaction, mm. you can instantly have a portfolio that's got uh, exposure to every country in the world mm. and, and thousands of stocks. So, you know, it's very easy um, to do it nowadays. You know, probably part of the challenge is picking which of those thousands of vehicles out there is, is the one for you. Mm. But it's certainly very easy to go out, buy a couple of exchange-traded funds, and you can have exposure to 
you know, thousands of different shares, property funds, you know, everything around the world. Yeah, it is um, It is amazingly easy now. And um, just, you know, even sector by sector now, you can you can buy, um, you know, that's the cybersecurity one, which is uh, Hack, which is, a, you know, the top 30 or 40 cybersecurity companies or Robo. You can buy healthcare stocks on their own. So it's very... There's probably no, it's nearly limitless, it, depending on what you want to do with your portfolio in terms of diversifying it into different sectors, you nearly have, you can do pretty much what you want. Well, I, I mean, there's probably five or six a week uh, that yeah. are coming out in different sectors. So yeah, you really do have uh, so much choice. Yeah. Um, and even to the degree which we probably need to reflect on is that you can diversify um, even into the size stocks you're investing in so if you want to invest in what we call big capitalization or the major end of the market the blue chip stocks you can buy a fund that just does that or if you want to go right down into the small cap end of the really emerging leader type companies you can buy funds that do that as well yeah exactly and and this probably leads into a little bit about you know the other concept with um, diversification is is diminishing returns yeah so one thing you will find is you know, once again, we'll use COVID because it's fresh in our minds. But, you know, when things get really bad, um, there is often uh, not too many places to hide. Mm. And, and so this plays out in the share market where, you know, s- certain asset cl- um, assets within there or stocks are not necessarily correlated. But you will find in times of distress, you know, they all tend to go down at the same time. And one of the things you find is if you have... 500 shares mm. you do tend to get a very similar outcome to if you had 50 shares yeah yeah um, just because uh you know there's diminishing t- returns in terms of how far you spread your money yep. and how many different things those uh, stocks are exposed to yeah um so certainly the access to, to all of these products is great but at a certain point you know you don't necessarily need to add 10 different exchange traded funds covering the same area you can really do it with a couple yeah and i think that's important advice um a lot of people um you do find when you review portfolios that clients uh have doubled up in terms in terms of uh, the same types of stocks in the same areas doing the same thing and you got to say to yourself why are you paying a fee for two different things that are they're doing exactly the same so yeah i think that's that's something that always need to be kept an eye on um and you don't want to over um do the administration side either right if you've got 30 or 40 different things in your portfolio administratively trying to look after that is a nightmare yeah and one of the things i I do notice with some portfolios that come in as well is that they may have 40 stocks Mm. but they have 20 percent of their money in cba and then another 15 in nab and 10 percent in westpac Mm. and you're kind of blinded by the fact that you've got these 30 stocks that make up five or ten percent of your portfolio it looks diversified but when you actually look under the hood, you've got 50% in banks. Yeah. And so I think you just have to be careful uh, sometimes in terms of, you know, it's not the number of investments, it's it's actually where um, these investments are. Correct. Um, a lot of people look at their um, super fund uh, pie chart, Dylan. People love pie charts out there and they, they see that they're allocated to Australian shares, international shares and, and property and so on. But there's often an asset class in there called alternatives. And it's a little bit of a mystery box of what's in that alternative bucket. Um, can you help um, educate people out there what might be in that alternatives bucket, Dylan? Yeah, it's very much. It depends who you ask what will yeah. be in that bucket. Um, but I suppose, you know, the idea behind alternatives, uh, I suppose, originally is that they are supposed to be essentially a class of assets um, that 
uh, are less correlated with your traditional assets, which would be, you know, shares and property. Mm. Um, so, you know, this alternative space really um, captures everything that doesn't fall in those buckets. Mm. And so, you know, it could be cryptocurrency, it could mm. be gold, uh, it could be infrastructure, which, you know, once again, some people will put into mm. the share market, some people won't. Mm. Um, you know, it could be commodities, wine, managed futures, uh, you know, race car, it can really be anything uh, in there. Um, mm. But certainly, you know, probably the more common ones you hear of is, you know, some portfolios will have a bit of gold or, mm. um, you know, you'll have some infrastructure in there and, and things like that. The other big one in that alternatives bucket that I'm coming across more and more of is even agriculture. Mm. So agricultural investment, farming land and so on um, has been an interesting part of that asset landscape that uh, people are diversifying into. So Water rights. Yeah, absolutely. And water's another one. Um, Dylan, so... For people listening out there um, that are looking to invest or currently investing, words of advice from you on diversification. Um, you know how how much should they how much should they think about this, and and are there any tips or tricks from you? Um, look, I think it's the tips and tricks is probably just understand those basic asset classes, mm. and and probably if you starting investing, uh, you can't go wrong with uh, an exchange traded fund that you know. Um, covers the Aussie share market or and one for the international share market as a very, very basic stepping stone. Uh, and then you can just build from there mm. because, you know, nowadays it is very easy to get that, uh, you know, fairly broad exposure. And, and probably the other thing is just to, you know, I suppose understand where your money is mm. and, um, you know, make sure that you don't have too much uh, in one area and, and even one that, uh, you know, we haven't talked about, but um, just thinking about some of the other parts of your life, it's not all about investment. No. So, um, I, I mean, I think Enron's a great example. Uh, they had a great sh- um, scheme, share, share scheme for mm. employers, mm. Uh, employees. employees yeah. And so, you know, that was a, a darling of the um, US Stock Exchange for quite a while. People were employed there. They were putting all their money into the, the share scheme. And then not only did they lose their jobs when it collapsed, they had all their money tied up in these yeah. the share schemes. Yeah. Um, so it does extend a little bit beyond the share market um, mm. and just understanding, you know, what risks you're taking there. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And I think the other part of, of our world, Dylan, where I see it is um, diversifying income streams um, to protect your retirement income. So if you've got a commercial property and you're getting sixty dollars or $70,000 of rent from one tenant at one property and all of a sudden something happens to that tenant and you lose that, you might, that might represent 80% of your income stream, um, you go from hero to zero pretty quickly in terms of then how quickly can you re-tenant it and, and et cetera. So diversifying income streams is, is another major protection mechanisms when need, protectionism that we need to put in place for retirement income streams as well. Yeah, and sometimes it can be a bit of a trap because you might be getting a very good rental income yep. from that commercial property and and there's a temptation you know that you don't want to give some of that up um but it's probably those hidden risks yep. um you know that you don't think of in terms of what happens if things go wrong mm. and that's probably the key question with diversification it's what happens when things go wrong mm. um and how can you protect against that absolutely um yeah it's all all well and good to um try and shoot the lights out and get the highest returns mate isn't it and then but at the same time, we've, we work hard for our money and um, you work hard to save it and you work hard to grow it. And it is at some point you've got to consider those risks and considering protecting it. And we think one of the major ways you can do that is to diversify. And so I think this concept has um, been alive and well for a long period of now and 
diversification is just a key basic plank of investing that we we all need to listen to and and make sure we're doing so thanks for coming on board today dylan and and having a chat with us and if you've got any questions around diversification feel free to uh, to speak to us at catapult thanks for joining us thanks Tony.